this is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. There's plenty to get to today. Going to have Kent Youngblood on the show in a little bit. He covers the Lynx. We're going to preview their season coming up. Starts Friday at home against Phoenix. Looking forward to that. We'll pay tribute to former Vikings coach Jerry Burns. Sad, passed away on Wednesday at the age of 94. And a lot of other good stuff as well. But first, what did I miss? Well, here's a story that I've been wanting to get to for a few days now. Pro Football Focus ran a piece. Uh, it was probably like probably a week ago by this point. Um, Kirk Cousins, a dark horse candidate for MVP. Kind of going through the numbers, laying out the case for why the Vikings quarterback could be uh, could be in in line for that award. Starts out one day, the prophecy will be fulfilled, and Kirk Cousins will win NFL MVP or the Super Bowl. Considering how many average quarterbacks we've seen flirt with the award during the season and the recent Super Bowl signal callers no longer starting for the teams they took to the big game, Cousins will come out on top one of these years. And it goes on to show, you know, Cousins has had subpar offensive line play. Nobody here would disagree with that. Um, that his PFF grade over the last three seasons is, you know, top seven, I think, seventh in the league. Um, you know, showing that he's you know maybe better than we think. So we're going from like, is Kirk Cousins going to get traded to should Kirk Cousins be MVP talk? Um, so, so there's that. I just wanted to get into this a little bit because I think it's interesting, but I also think there's kind of a fatal flaw in this argument in that it it's kind of the the crux of the Kirk Cousins conundrum altogether, which is that every even the article lays out how everything kind of has to go right for him. For things to to go well, you got to have good blocking so he has the time to throw because he's not particularly mobile and he holds onto the ball too long. Um, you've got to have a Vikings team that wins more than it loses, which hasn't really happened, you know, in most seasons. I mean, they, they kind of need another season like 2017, but with Kirk Cousins at quarterback putting up the kind of numbers he can, that's not impossible. I'm not saying that can't happen, and I'm not saying there's you know I'm saying there's maybe there's a slightly better chance of that now that they've added a couple more, you know, new pieces to the offensive line in the draft with Christian Derrissaw and Wyatt Davis. But generally speaking, Kirk Cousins' types of quarterbacks aren't the guys who are winning MVP. Um, if you look at the last 14 years of MVP history, it's actually well, picking a quarterback, you know, thinking a quarterback's going to win it, that's smart. There's only been one non-quarterback to win in the last 14 years, and that was Adrian Peterson of the Vikings in 2012. But if we run down the list... You know, 2020, Aaron Rodgers, 2019, Lamar Jackson, 2018, Patrick Mahomes, 2017, Tom Brady, 2016, Matt Ryan. I'm going to circle back on that one in a minute. 2015, Cam Newton, 2014, Rodgers, 2013, Peyton Manning, 2012, Peterson, like we said, 20, 2011, Rodgers, 2010, Tom Brady, 9 and 8, Peyton Manning, 7, Brady. You're generally getting the all-time elite quarterbacks winning this award or you're getting young, emerging quarterbacks who have some mobility to them and have you know the escapability and running game to them as well. Talking about the likes of Lamar Jackson, Cam Newton, maybe even Patrick Mahomes in that category. Matt Ryan is really the only quarterback in that whole mix that I would consider somewhat comparable to Kirk Cousins. And you know he's had a very good career, but had the kind of career year in 2016, where everything falls into place, Atlanta goes 11 and five, 
He throws for almost 5,000 yards, 38 touchdowns. That's a career high for him. Seven interceptions. Um, that's you know, it's a low for him and low watermark for him in his career. And he wins MVP. It, it's just one of those years where everything comes together and he wins the award. That's the kind of thing Kirk Cousins would need to have happen if he is going to win that award this year or you know sometime in his career. You know, I'm not saying it's not it's not possible. So I think that you know that the premise of the article. You know, it's it's not way off base, but I also think that the quarterbacks that are above him in the PFF grading, they're above him by enough that there is a level that he is below them, even if he's just right below them in the grading. Um, you know, you're talking about the likes of, again, a lot of these MVP award winners, Patrick Mahomes, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson, and then Kirk Cousins. The top five guys on that list have all won a ton of games over the last three years. Kirk Cousins, 25, 21, and 1 in the same span. All the other top guys have won at least 30 games, and some of them have missed significant time and, and still you know managed that many wins. So I don't see it necessarily. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but the larger point I want to make is the premise of this story while showing how it could happen also exposes the flaw of the Kirk Cousins era here in Minnesota is that everything has to go right for something to be able to work at a really high level. And if it doesn't, it's it's not even going to come close. So we'll see. Maybe the prophecy will uh, include a Kirk Cousins MVP award. I don't know. Stranger things have happened. It'd be kind of, it would a lot, be a lot of fun if he had that kind of season this year. I just don't, I just don't buy it at this point. And whether he does it this year or not, he'll have one extra game. 17 game schedule came out on Wednesday night. We're going to break that down on the Access Vikings podcast later today. But uh, first glance, I looked at it, and I was like, they could get off to a pretty good start. Um, The the schedule is a little bit, not even back-loaded, but middle-loaded. There's a stretch in there that looks tough. But, you know, if they can get out to a 4-2 and start, um, you know, before... You know, before their bye week, I, I could see that I could see that happening based on the schedule they have. So we'll see. But a lo- longer uh, schedule breakdown on the Access Vikings podcast today. All of that, of course, much more fun than talking about the Twins, who lost again, thirteen to eight, on uh, on Wednesday night to the White Sox. Nine games back in the division race already, twelve and twenty-two. Don't need to get into everything about that game. It's suffice to say Jay Happ did not have a stellar performance. This one wasn't necessarily on the bullpen, wasn't on the offense. It was the starting pitching, um, which had been maybe one of the better facets of this team this season. But um, Thad Levine talked to reporters, general manager Thad Levine, talked to reporters kind of talking about the the state of the team. Um, I want to start a new segment on this show called Spin Rate, um, kind of an homage to uh, the baseball's reliance on the spin of the baseball these days as a double meaning for um, spinning a story the way you want it to. Spin rate, you know, we're going to start off start off light here because I don't think Thad Levine was spinning too hard, but uh, I wanted to read a quote uh, from Thad Levine that, uh, that he gave reporters on Wednesday while he was assessing the Twins. Um, he says, It's not sustainable that some of these guys perform at this level. If we get enough of those guys buoying back up to where we know that they can perform, we have a lot of division games left. I think there's a strong argument to say our destiny is still within our hands based upon how many in-division games we still have to play. And Yeah, 
I'm going to give that out of 10. I'm going to give that a 4 on the spin rate. Um, you know, he's trying to sell us in a little bit of this isn't as bad as it seems. We can still turn this around, but it, it's fundamentally it's true. They only, they've only played 34 games. That means there's 128 left. I think about half of those are AL Central games, um, some of them against foes that should be on paper much worse than the Twins, the other games against teams the Twins would like to catch in the standings. So theoretically, it's still in reach, but if they keep playing the way they're playing right now or even you know, even a level above this, there's no chance. Um, they, they've got to play at a really, really, really high level now just to get back to a 90-win pace for the season. I just don't, I don't necessarily see that happening. So I'm going to give Thad Levine a four out of 10 in the, uh, in the spin rating on that one. Another team that desperately needed a win on uh, Wednesday night, Minnesota United got it. One nothing at home over Vancouver had started the season. Oh, and four defensive problems, especially in the second half had plagued them. Offensive problems had plagued them at certain points, but one nil is your final. They're now one and four. We can no longer say they're the last you know, the last team in the MLS without a point. They got that. They got three of them, actually, on uh, on Wednesday. So one and four is nothing to brag about, of course, but we'll see if that's the start of, you know, some, some sort of turnaround again. Like the Twins, United had a high, high expectations coming into the season and has fallen flat so far this year. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. A team that hopes to avoid a similar fate, Minnesota Lynx. Season starts Friday. I had a chance to catch up with Kent Youngblood. who does a great job covering the Lynx for the Star Tribune um, for a season preview segment. Um, I hope you enjoy that right now. Kent, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. Well, I'm happy to have you. Happy to be seeing another season underway with with the Lynx. They open Friday at home against Phoenix. Now, I want to start, you know, at the top with, you know, kind of a big picture question. I want to see how you answer this. You know, we've had what the Lynx do is not related to how any other team in this market performs, obviously, but we've seen a lot of teams in Minnesota come into seasons with expectations, particularly even lately, you know, Twins had expectations, Minnesota United expectations based on what happened a year ago. Lynx go to the Final Four of the WNBA last year. Uh, maybe a little bit of a surprise they did that. Now, now there's expectations this season. How do you think they will handle that as a team that has been maybe the only team in this market really to live up to expectations in, in past seasons? Well, I think it's going to be, I think it, there's a chance it could be a slow start for this team because two of their probably four most important players haven't practiced with them yet and won't likely play in Friday's opener. Kayla McBride was playing in Turkey. She finished last night as the MVP of their champion of their, of their finals. Uh, and she probably will arrive in the Twin Cities sometime today, but I don't know that quarantine rules will allow her to play on Friday. And the Fisa Collier is still playing in France. So they're going to open up the season probably without Collier for, a less, for at least two games. And so I think they're going – they might have some trouble out of the gate simply because they haven't had those people in practice and they're two very important pieces of this puzzle. 
So how do they navigate that? That's interesting that, you know, is this, I can't remember past years is that I know there's been some later arrivals, but it feels like the later arrivals have been more later in training camp. I can't remember players missing the start of the season, but you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, don't hold me to it, but I, I believe that both in both cases, their seasons went a little longer because there were COVID related pauses during the season. Okay. So I don't think this is something that going forward is going to be an issue, but it's a huge deal. I mean, if he's if he's a collier is a top, 10, possibly a top five player in this league. And Kayla McBride, I mean, we saw what she could do in that, you know, in, in, in Turkey this year, she's a scorer. And so I think they're going to start the season with a shorter bench and with people in the starting lineup who might not otherwise be there. Uh, it'll be interesting, though. Uh, Fowles is healthy, Sylvia. Yeah. Uh, we'll be able to see Ariel Powers for the first time. It'll, it'll be interesting. I was going to ask you about, Collier, um, you know, first of the big, big picture expectations for this team. I mean, even if they have to play shorthanded a little bit here and then work, you know, Collier and McBride back into the lineup, what, what's the realistic outlook for this team this season, you know, especially as they get into the second half of the year and, and should be, you know, hitting on, on most of their cylinders. I think they, um, I think they are in the conversation to, uh, compete for a title, frankly. And, and, and that's not easy because this league has gotten is much, much better than last year, last year, because of the bubble and the COVID issue, a number of really good players didn't take part. Elena Del Don didn't play. Liz Cambage didn't play a lot of people who didn't play. And now all these people are back. Um, the level of talent coming out of college continues to get better. The league is still at only 12 there's a real concentration of talent. I think there's going to, I think this is a very deep league. Uh, I think Las Vegas is going to be much better with Cambage back. I think Washington, which was the playoff team last year, will be back. Uh, it's going to be difficult, but I think they can compete. And Collier is a big piece of that. Obviously, uh, you know, finished in the in the discussion. You know, not a primary factor, but it was at least in the MVP voting last year. I've seen some things where you know top five, top 10 power rankings for her this year, which is earned and, and deserved. Where do you think she fits into the league landscape in terms of that? And what's, what is, you know, what's a year three step now that she can take? Well, first of all, go back to year two. So often players have a bit of a sophomore slump. She took an enormous step last year. You know, you, you watch her play and she's not, and she's athletic, but she doesn't maybe look as slick as some players, but look at her numbers at the end of the day. She's a great three-point shooter. She is good in the paint. She's an efficient, uh, her, her field goal uh, efficiency is, is good. And she's a good defensive player. I don't know that there's many better two-way players in this league. Uh, and this year, I think they're going to uh, take even more advantage of her ability to move without the ball I think they're going to employ a lot of uh, high post uh, center offense like you've seen a lot of the links in the past. And I think they're really going to start catering to her even more than they have in the past. Well, they got more depth and high quality players around here. I think that'd be fair to say than they had, you know, the last two years they, they they've been, they've been good. They've made, they've made the playoffs, but they, they did some work here in free agency. How do you think, is she the kind of player that gets even better as you put, even better players around her because um, she doesn't necessarily always need to have the ball to be effective. Well, you know, the gut, 
the gut reaction is to think, oh, they have all these scores. It's going to be harder to score. But I think the Lynx are going to have a lineup when they're all there that is going to spread the floor better than you've seen maybe any Lynx team spread the floor in the past. Because even when they were great, they were not a great three-point shooting team. This is a team more built for today's basketball than maybe any Lynx team you've seen. They're going to take, I think, more three-pointers. They're going to space the floor. And I think it's going to, I think the addition of, of McBride and Powers in particular are, is going to create a situation where you can't double team a player like Fowles or like Collier or like McBride. I think, I think it's to everybody's benefit when there's that kind of talent on the floor and so many people capable of scoring both inside and on the perimeter. Now, I feel like Cheryl Reeve has wanted to play this way for a few years and has tried to make a roster like that. Are you, is this more even leaning further into that idea and getting the pieces that she really wanted to, to be able to play this style and evolve into that more kind of modern style of basketball? Well, yes, but she said even this week in, in, in the, after a practice that she is not driven by analytics. He's aware of them, but she's not driven by them. When, when it comes to offense, her number one rule is don't turn the ball over, get a quality opportunity each time down the court. Having said that, yes, you have to have spacing on the floor in today's basketball game. Um, one thing she is determined not to do is to force the ball to Sylvia Fowles like they have so often in the past, which has resulted in turnovers. Um, so I would say that are the Lynx now an analytics team? No. But are the Lynx maybe more prepared to play in this age of basketball? I'd say yes. I think McBride brings a McBride's a career 360-something, I think, three-point shooter. Powers yeah. can shoot the three. Fee can shoot the three. And even Dantas, forget forget the Dantas, Bannum, and Carlton were all 400% or better last year from three. So I think it's going to be a very interesting uh, offense to watch. You know, last year without fouls over the final 13 games of the regular season, they were the most efficient offensive team in the league. Now that she's healthy, obviously a huge defensive presence, a low-post score, what does she bring back into the mix, presuming she is, you know, going to be healthy and available for, you know, the vast majority of this season? Well, they were, uh, they were 10th in the 12th team league in defensive rebounding last year. They will instantly become a better defensive rebounding team, which is very important. Uh, they will protect the paint better than they did last year, which was a problem when she left. And I, and, and so the question is, how will they insert, how will, how will she reintegrate herself into an offense that really traditionally kind of cater to her. And I think the answer will be that, you know, she's still a 60% shooter inside in the paint. Mm-hmm. I think the answer will be get her the ball, but don't force her the ball. And I don't think she's going to play as many minutes as you've seen her in the past. I think she's going to be kept to 24 minutes or less. So I think when she, when her impact is going to be more defensive than offensive this year. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, can kind of play two different ways based on whether she's, on the court or not to a degree, you know, the player that will be tasked with getting her the ball in a lot of cases, crystal Dangerfield, their second consecutive rookie of the year last season with Collier winning in 2019 and crystal Dangerfield winning last season in, you know, in the bubble, you know, fans haven't, well, Lynx fans haven't even seen her in person yet because of the way last season played out. You mentioned the propensity for that second year slump that Collier avoided uh, and then some by having such a great year a season ago are, is there a concern that that could 
you know, bite Crystal Dangerfield, a, a, a player that's still pretty important for them right now? My sense was we haven't been able to watch practice because of COVID. My sense was from listening to, to Coach Cheryl Reeve was that Crystal started out a bit slow in camp this year. Um, and just a few days ago, Reeve talked about how well Bantam has played and how the point position really could be more of a platoon type deal this year uh, with Bantam kind of focusing on the point, whereas last year she did both guard positions. But now you have Powers and McBride. Uh, the two is pretty well taken care of. And so I think you're going to see there, there's going to be more of a platoon at the point. And I think Bantam is poised to have a pretty good season. She's in great shape. She's kind of regained her confidence. She's been given the green light. She had, uh, she was a plus 24 in 25 minutes in the preseason game last weekend. So I think, I think Bantam is poised to be better. And we have the return of Jess Shepard who before she got hurt as a rookie was a marvelous big passing big who also got a lot of rebounds. I think that this team, everybody looks at the signings during free agency is making this team deeper, but the return to Shepard and, and Bannon's Ascension, I think is going to make them even more uh, of a, of a roster that can play eight, nine deep. And I think that you're going to see a lot more, a lot more, a, a, a bit. I mean, Reeve has never traditionally played a lot of her bench that, uh, they've never in the championship years were never top half of the league in bench points. I think that's going to change this year. You mentioned the newcomers, um, a lot of free agency work and you're, you're right. The, the players that return or improve from within will have a lot to say about how the season goes, but so will some of those new players what, for, for people unfamiliar with who they brought in and what those players bring to the table. You know, who, what, what should we expect from, you know, McBride and, 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 and the other kind of big name signings they brought in. I think McBride along with Collier are going to be the top two go-to players. They're going to be the two players that get the most plays called for them. They're going to have the ball in their hands a lot. I think Reeve believes that McBride in the last couple of years in Las Vegas was underutilized. Uh, Vegas is such a post heavy team that doesn't shoot a lot of threes. And she was asked to be the, really the team's only three point shooter. And she basically spotted up and took threes. This year, she's going to be kind of cut loose. And I think you're going to see more of the McBride that, that maybe earlier in her career when she was, you know, driving on closeouts, uh, hitting the open three. She's going to score at all levels. I think she's going to be a huge addition to this team. Ariel Powers is maybe the most flexible player on the team. I think she can play one through three, depending on the situation. Uh, she can maybe even defend a small four. She's a, she'll be an energy player. I think she'll start. When it's all said and done, she'll definitely start Friday because they're missing so many players. Uh, and then Natalie Achanwa is is the kind of kind of heady, high IQ post that Reeve has always loved. She had that in Taj McWilliams Franklin. She had that in Janelle McCarvel. This is a, a big who likes to go to the high post and hit people who are cutting. Uh, she's big in the elbow game and the pin down game. And I think she's going to be playing 18, 20 minutes a game because they're going to take minutes off of fouls. So she's not going to be maybe as big an impact as the other two, but just by keeping fouls, maybe taking minutes off of fouls, she'll be very valuable. So Angel McCautry from Vegas uh, tore ACL the other day. That puts a, you know, a little bit of a dent in some of their depth, but that's still a team to watch. Like you mentioned, what, what about the rest of the league as we kind of finish up here? Who, if the, if the links, you know, realistically are a, a title contender, which I think you're right, they are, who, who's going to be their primary competition this season? 
Well, you can. Uh, I think Seattle's going to struggle a little bit defensively. They lost a couple of players, including Natasha Howard, who was very big in that regard. But they still have the best player in the league in Brandon Stewart, and I just and they have a dynamite depth at the guard. I don't think you can count them out. Vegas, they took a hit with uh, with Angel, but they got Liz Cambage back, and they got uh, Kelsey Plum back, who missed last year with injuries. So I, I think they're going to be very good. They went to the finals last year without Cambage, and now they have Cambage plus Asia Wilson, who's maybe the second or third best player in the league. I think they're going to be somebody to watch. I think Chicago, um, they have a great backcourt, and they added Candace Parker. That could be, and I think they're very well coached by James Wade, the former Lynx assistant. So I think they're a team to watch. And uh, Washington, assuming Elena Del Don is healthy, you know, was really was really decimated by COVID issues last year. Still made the playoffs. Very tough league in the top five, six spots. Yeah, I mean this this league is. Just... And don't forget Phoenix. Uh, they got Rossi and they got uh, Brittany Griner back. Well, this league is just stacked. When, when are they going to expand? Because it feels like there's just not enough. There's not enough roster spots for the quality that comes out of college basketball now. No, it's really true, and I think that's been. You know, they they kind of Engelbert when she took over the league. I think the first thing they wanted to address was the CBA, and they got that out of the way. And I think that I think that you'll find that expansion will be a, a topic. It's going to be on everybody's lips this year because there, there is, I mean, you've got 12 teams and most of them are going to keep 11 players this year. You know, that's not a lot of basketball players. You know, that's no, just not a lot of that's jobs. 130, that's like 132. I mean, the NBA probably has, well, you got 12 active, 15 total. The NBA has got like probably three times as many players. Well, they got what, thir- you know, 30 times 15 man. Yeah, 450. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. And I think, as you can see, I mean, I mean, you're going to, I think when the final cuts are made this year, you might see a couple of first round people don't make squads. Wow. It'll be, it wouldn't be interesting if at some point, if uh, somebody like a Cheryl Reeve were able to get together a team and start their own franchise. I mean, it's interesting. You see, you kind of see that happening, you know, in Atlanta where Renee Montgomery is kind of part of the group there. I mean, I, I do think that there, I think that this is a growth, I think the WNBA is a growth industry. Yeah. We'll see where the links wind up in it this year. I'm looking forward to this season. It should be a fun year for them. Looking forward to them being back at target center, being you know, fans in the stands as they work towards, you know, limited capacity at first, but uh, you know, working towards even more people in the stands starting Friday against Phoenix. Kent Youngblood does a great job covering the team. Follow his work on startribune.com and in the newspaper. And Kent, we'll check it, check in with you again on the links uh, down the road. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, it's interesting. It's, it'll be fun to, to watch a team that, I, I mean, I did a story that we'll run Friday, you know, asking Reeve, you know, she kind of admitted that if this team is 100% and stays healthy, it can compete for a title. I asked her the last time she really felt that heading into a season, and she said it was 2017. I mean, Sylvia Fowles was the only player left from the team that won the title, you know, in two thousand four years ago. Yeah. She has completely turned around the roster and is now poised to at least compete for a title without ever having not made the playoffs. I think it's a remarkable transformation. A hundred percent agree. That's you just don't see that. I mean, and drafting rookies of the year with the number six and number 16 picture helps and being a model franchise that attracts free agents uh, helps as well. So the roster building has been as important as, uh, as anything else, but yeah, those are good points. 
Um, yeah, looking forward to the, how the season plays out. Friday against Phoenix is the opener. Kent Youngblood, thanks again for joining me, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot, Mike. And like I said at the outset of that segment, the Lynx have been the one team in this market that has lived up to expectations in past years. You know, winning championships four times since 2011. You know, even when everyone was gunning for them, even when the the assumption was that they were going to contend, they did contend. And that has not always been the case among Minnesota teams, and it seldom is. And you've seen it again this year, like I said, with the Twins and United. So we'll see if the Lynx can be those true contenders this season, starting Friday against Phoenix. Uh, AC out there in the flat. Is the ball thrown in there low? That, is, that isn't Snoker's fault. Now, I usually play that clip to set up um, you know, someone who's overperformed for an underachieving team. Um, in this case, it's, uh, it's, it's touched with sadness. Jerry Burns obviously was the person ranting in that clip, uh, passed away Wednesday, age of 94. Former Vikings coach, loved getting a chance to know him. And I want to make clear, too, that as much as I love that soundbite, as, as fun as that whole you know rant about you know Bob Schnelker, the former offensive coordinator, uh, when when Bernsey was head coach, as, as fun as that is, he was much he was much more than that. I think Patrick Royce had a really nice column about that in uh, Thursday's paper and StarTribune.com. And I was thinking the same thing that Patrick was like. He was a really innovative offensive mind. Um, anytime you talk to him, his love of football came shining through. I even have like jotted down in an old notebook. Like I want, I had this idea to go just watch games on Sundays with Jerry Burns, just to kind of soak it all in. Never got around to it, but uh, that was the kind of character and the kind of football mind he was. So rest in peace, Burnsy. I'll probably keep using that clip just because it's so much fun. But uh, he was much more than a rant. He was a great, great football coach and a really, really good person as well. That'll do it for today. Thanks for listening. Megan Ryan joining me from Chicago from the last uh, end of the Twins series on uh, on Friday's podcast. We'll see how Thursday's game goes. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to this podcast if you would. Write a review if you can, and we will see you again on Friday.